0: the Exec MBA Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'd like to feature a conversation I recently recorded with Rob Wiederecht. Rob is a Gambo format student in our class of 2020, and he and I recently sat down to talk a little bit more about how he decided to pursue an MBA, how he knew the time was right for him to take this step in his career, and why he chose the Gambo format and what he's enjoyed about his experience so far think you're going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's my interview with Rob direct. Rob, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Brett. It's awesome to be here.
0: All right. So for our listeners at home, tell us a little bit more about you. Who are you and what do you do?
1: Sure. Uh, so my name is Rob direct. I'm a class of 2020 Genba uh, Darden student. Um, I am very excited that we are uh, past the halfway point and in the home stretch here. Um, when I'm not doing my studies, I work as a digital product manager at Capital One. Um, I've been on the Capital One Cafe strategy team for a number of years, uh, running all the technology that we put into those spaces. Um, and then on the side, I'm starting my own venture as well.
0: So a full plate.
1: Full plate. Absolutely.
0: So, um, talk a little bit more about the work that you're doing at Capital One, um, with the cafes in particular, because for those of us who live in the DC area, I think we know there's one down in Chinatown. Uh, there's a brand new one that opened in Georgetown. That's right. Um, how is Darden helping you with the work that you're doing or, you know, shaping how you think about those kind of opportunities?
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's been really interesting. So we are at Capital One, we're taking a completely different approach to how, consumer banking is done um, both from how we want to grow our own business and how we want to approach the customer experience um, and when you put those two things together through a lot of test cases we the cafes has been uh, a solution that has been working pretty well for us the interesting thing is this is a model that isn't out there in the industry nobody else is doing this so we are truly in in uncharted territory um, and Darden has really opened up my mind uh, in talking with people in all different sorts of lines of work. People who work in the medical field, people who work in technology, people who work in finance, on how do they approach something that's totally new for the first time. Um, because there is no recipe for success. There's no playbook in this space. Um, so it's, it's truly a test and learn environment. Um, and being able to see people's successes and failures in similar types of uh, uncharted waters has been really, really interesting.
0: So as you thought about uh, getting an MBA, how did you decide that now was the, was the right time? You know, how, did you, how did you process that?
1: Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Um, I always thought I was going to get my MBA. Um, so I did my undergraduate work at UVA um, at the engineering school. Um, and I always thought a combination of engineering and business was where I wanted to work. Um, and that my undergrad undergrad degree and an MBA would be a great combination. So for me, it was more a question of not if, but when, Um, I had a fantastic experience at UVA for undergrad. Um, so Darden was always going to be high on my list. Um, and I really, I was always finding a reason to put this off. It was always this is on my roadmap, but not right now. This is on my radar, but here are 10 reasons why I shouldn't do it. Um, and it, it really took a mentor of mine, who was my, my boss at the time, to uh, push me over that edge. Um, and and we, we were having a conversation about my development and my future growth. Um, and I mentioned that this was something that was kind of in the back of my mind um, and she immediately uh, took that and ran with it. You know, she was a, a Darden alum, um, and she she connected me with you, Brett, and said, I, "I'm going to set up uh, a chat for you guys, and now you have to at least go attend uh, uh, that meeting, and then I'm going to let Brett sell you from there." And it, w- it wasn't too long before I was convinced.
0: What was your biggest reservation? I'm um, I'm always curious. You know, there are different roadblocks that you hear from from people. Sometimes it's life, life, lifestyle. Sometimes it's it's work rate. Um, sort of questioning whether or not the NBA is the right step. What what was yours?
1: Yeah, it's hard to pinpoint it on one thing. I, I think I think it was a combination of a lot of the things you just mentioned. Um, the biggest one is probably can, can I fit this into my life? Um, I think anybody who is working full time, you know, they everybody has a full life or what they deem is a full life already, and the idea of fitting you know, a dozen plus, sometimes 20 plus hours a week into your schedule. People don't, that doesn't compute. Like, I don't know where I'm going to find those hours. And it's easy to, to say that. And I would think anybody in my cohort thought they had a full life before that. Um, and, and everybody's been able to, to fit this in. Um, and, and and it's really amazing. You don't know what you are capable of until you, you try it out. Um, So it's, it's really, it's, it's a decision that took, took probably a few more years than I intended it to, but it's, it's been fantastic.
0: So what is your time management strategy? I've been trying to glean this from everybody who comes on the podcast. You know, what are the approaches that people employ to to manage their time during what's a really busy, busy program?
1: Yeah. Um, I think it's important that you're very intentional with your time. Um, I think the, the tactical strategy that you use, whether it's, uh, you know, a highly organized calendar or a journal or, you know, just, just a list on a sheet of paper, I don't think that matters so much as it's spending time on the things that are important to you um, and with the people who are important to you. Um, personally, I live by my calendar. Every moment of my day is, you know, blocked um, for a specific thing. Um, and that is what I have found success with. So when we're prepping for an on-grounds residency, I will download all the cases and I will look and see, okay, these are the you know 13 classes that we have coming up this weekend. This is what is required, the reading, the analysis for each one. And then I will block off time on my calendar to do those. It doesn't mean I will actually do it at that time, but That helps me know whether or not I'm on track, because then you take these 13 classes that you need to prep for over the next week, week and a half. You don't need to think about it on that scale. You just think about this day. If I get to the end of today and I have checked all of these things off, I'm on track. I don't need to worry about it. And then I just do the same thing tomorrow. And then when something comes out that is new, there's a curveball at work, something comes up at home, it's easy to just move those blocks on your calendar and just know where you can fit those in. Um, Some people think it's a little over the top, but I schedule in time to do nothing on the calendar. I will block off Sunday afternoon. This is football time and I'll block it off so that I try and preserve that because that is where I get an opportunity to mentally check out and relax and and recharge for the week. Um, And I, and I think it's important to, to, Make sure that you are balanced in in all the aspects of your life.
0: Certainly, heard uh, other students uh, it you know, say, "Yes, I put family time. I put you know time with my partner, uh, time with my kids. All of that goes on the calendar uh, for a variety of reasons. One, the, the sort of self signaling um, that, that we just described, but also to help." Uh, your learning team, other people who are trying to book your time know that, Oh wait, it looks like Rob has a conflict on Sundays uh, around one or, or four or whatever the case may be. Um, do you also also put family and all uh, other commitments there?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, in, at, at work all of our calendars are, are open and available so people know where they are. Um, and with, with our learning team, um, now we've gotten to the point where we all know each other so well that we kind of know like who's got the kid bedtime routine, you know, around seven they're not going to be available at this time, but we know that we'll get them afterwards. Um, you, you start to pick up on those trends, but earlier when we were first getting to know each other, uh, we were just really open about it. We had a shared calendar and it was everybody put their commitments on there and, and, um, just respecting each other's time.
0: So what about Gimba specifically uh, resonated with you? For those of you who are newer to our program, well, we have two executive formats, an executive MBA format, as well as a global executive MBA format, uh, as Rob mentioned at the outset. He's a Gimba student. So what, what about Gimba resonated with you?
1: Uh, yeah. So for anybody listening to this, if you are on the fence, choose Gimba. Every single person who's on the fence and did not now tells me they wish they did. And I say, I told you so. You should have. Um, For me, I did not study abroad when I was in undergrad. Um, That was something I I made the conscious decision to do. Um, And, but I always knew that was something I wanted to do. I wanted to see more of the world Um, and I wanted to see places that I wouldn't necessarily go to on a leisurely trip. Um, So this was a great opportunity to do that, Um, to spend a week in Brazil um, and, and then, four months later, spend a week in China. I mean, that that is something that you uh, probably are not going to fit into your life and, uh, on your own unless you make any uh, a really conscious effort to do so. And to have that built into the schedule, um, It's it's been probably the most rewarding part of this entire program.
0: Well, since you've been on, on three of the four global residencies, let's talk about each of them, maybe some highlights uh, for you. Uh, you still have India. Out we there. do yeah uh, in quarter 8 um imagine you're looking forward to being in india
1: yes we um we have um plans booked already flights hotels are all set ready to go um something that uh several of us have have chosen to do before every uh every program is see where can we add on a handful of personal days um either on the front or the back end of the trip so um, it's um, been a lot of fun to have that to look forward to, to plan that together. It's a great way to meet other students that and connect with them uh, that on a level deeper than you would necessarily in the classroom. Uh, so we're putting the finishing touches on those plans now uh, for the India residency. And it's, going to be fantastic.
0: So we're, if you, if you wouldn't mind sharing with our podcast listeners, where are you planning on going in addition to, so so those, those two cities are Mumbai, Mumbai and and New Delhi. Uh, that's where
1: our classes will be held. Um, we are spending three nights in Dubai on the front end, um, because, uh, most flights are flying in through there anyway. And we said, all right, well, let's break up the flight. Let's go see a new city and check something out. Um, so we'll spend three days there, and then on the back end, a group of us are spending three nights in Agra and Jaipur.
0: Nice. Yeah, so, uh, so a full trip.
1: Full trip, absolutely.
0: So, um, let's talk about Brazil. Um, what did you enjoy about about this particular residency?
1: Yeah, uh, Brazil. It, for me, the dichotomy between the two cities that we visited was was eye opening. This was the first time I had been to South America. Um, so I really didn't know what to expect. Um, and um, the difference in not only the, the architecture and, and the city structure uh, between Sao Paulo and between Rio, um, that is obvious. You, you notice that as soon as you get off the plane. Uh, but the, the difference between the people uh, and how they approach day-to-day life, how they approach business... Um, it was really fascinating, um, and I and I think if you step back and think about it, it's not that dissimilar to the United States. Right, there are cultural differences between the Midwest and the East Coast and, and, and the West Coast, um, but to experience that in a place where you've never been to, it, it was really it was it was quite engaging.
0: And then quarter four for you was was China. Had you been to China before? At all? I had not. Okay, so that was also
1: my first trip to Asia. So we are all every trip we've kind of been pushing the envelope a little bit here.
0: Yeah, um, what was the highlight of, of China for you?
1: Uh, absolutely, the Great Wall, of China. Uh, we we hiked up to the the Great Wall. Um, there, they had a um, a gondola shuttle that you could take if you if you didn't want to do the hike uh, up the up the hill um and it was just an afternoon to just soak it in um and it was it, it was incredible um um they had they had a wonderful reception for us there and we had plenty of time to uh just um experience you know something that most people don't get to see and and to to spend two hours just wandering uh the great wall not only with people that you have made great connections with, uh, but also just taking some time for yourself and some, some personal reflection. Uh, that's definitely something I'll, I'll never forget.
0: And then quarter six uh, took you to Western Europe, uh, Paris and Berlin.
1: Paris and Berlin, yes. Also two very different cities. Um, we had an opportunity to visit uh, with Station F. Uh, Station F is the largest startup incubator in Europe. Um, we got a fantastic tour there, um, and it was really great to see the, the amazing work that is going on there. We had several of the startups um, pitch their, um, their companies to us, um, both practice for them. Um, many of them were not native English speakers, and they were practicing giving their pitch in English. Um, and it was fantastic for us to see all of these new you know, up-and-coming companies that one day you know, may become household names
0: and uh so obviously we mentioned uh, in Q8 India um how do you feel all of these global experiences have contributed to and enhanced the learning that you've done yeah
1: it's um it's it's been really interesting to get a much broader understanding of how human beings can approach the same problem so there could be um, you know, a technology that we don't necessarily see in the United States that is applied in China in a completely different way. And it solves a problem that, you know, is, exists on both sides. Um, and it's been, it's been really interesting to just get a, a much broader appreciation for how culture and, and background and history um, how that impacts your approach to solving day to day problems.
0: You're right that there are many IMBA format students who wish they would have been GIMBA students. Uh, that that happens almost immediately after that first global residency. Yes, uh, the IMBA students who've traveled uh, in, in the case of your class to Brazil come back inquiring about is it possible to be a, <laughs> to be a GIMBA student? We've always stressed, uh, unfortunately, uh, in, in the current structure, no, that is not not a possibility. Um, And so one of the many reasons why we encourage people to really think deeply about the decision. Yes. But there is an opportunity
1: to do the DWC electives, which I am doing the trip to Japan as well. Awesome. Yes. So um, even if you decide uh, to not do the Gemba format, um, at the the end of the program, um, we have the opportunity to do electives. So there's a trip to Cuba uh, and a trip to Japan. Um, so I'll, I'll be attending the second one in in March, and I uh, can't wait.
0: Tell us a little bit about uh, obviously you haven't gone on it, yeah yes. but uh, what's the idea behind the Japan uh, DWC?
1: Yeah, um, so from what I know so far, it's focused on mega projects, um, so it's really going to be focused on. Um, the infrastructure, um, for Tokyo, um, I think with the upcoming Olympic games that they're getting ready to host, I think we're going to see a lot about how, um, are they planning on being able to handle the influx of, of crowds there. Um, so I, I don't know too many details just yet, um, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Have you been to Japan before? I have not. Wow. So a whole lot of new experiences. So, one of the things that, that Lottie Carr, who has been on the podcast and, and travels yes. with uh, with the students on the global residencies, um, one of the things that she has noted is that there's a unique kind of bonding that happens when you're sort of out of your comfort zone, you're in an in a unfamiliar location, you're with a group of people, and it's kind of hard to maintain connectivity back, back to the world, right? You've got significant hour differences or at least just geographic distances, um, can you talk a little bit about the connections that you build on, on the global residencies?
1: Sure. Yeah. So um, in addition to traveling on personal time, both, you know, on the front or back end of these trips, um, it, it really it really is a completely connected experience. So we'll start the day in a classroom in the hotel and we'll go through two or three cases of whatever uh, subjects are being taught uh, in that particular quarter, and those may be um, tied to a company that we're going to visit that afternoon. So we may do a case that is focusing on a particular accounting subject, uh, but then is directly applied to uh, the firm we're, g- we're going to tour that that afternoon. The schedule will end, you know, around five or six o'clock, and then there some nights there will be a a, a group dinner that is. Put on by the program. Other nights, folks will will organize their own. Um, but every single night, folks are going out and doing something together. So we went to the top of the Eiffel Tower at night. Uh, we went to uh, the dance club in Berlin at night. There's there's um, there are any numerous ways to stay connected with different parts of the program, different people within the program. Um, and find commonalities on what you want to do. And it's, it's really a, 24 seven connection while you're there.
0: Yeah. Those are uh, very full weeks. They um, are. and as you note, uh, people even add on, add on time and side trips. So so I highly recommend. Absolutely. Um, so we talked a little bit about how you've managed time in the program. Um, how long do you feel like it took you to figure out a schedule that worked well for you and, and your family?
1: I I think, um, LR one was a bit of an anomaly, right? Because you don't know what you're getting into. Um, you don't know whether you are preparing at the right level or not. Um, are you over preparing? Are you under preparing? So you kind of are taking your best guess and then you think that you're going to figure it out after that first week. But that first week is very different because it's kind of isolated, um, everybody is still trying to figure out what, uh, what is the right level of engagement. Um, so it, you know, we left there, I assumed I would leave LR one like, okay, I got this. I know what this is all about. And it really took, you know, probably until the end of quarter two, the beginning of quarter three to really be in a, a rhythm of, you know, this is how I'm going to fit this into my life. Um, I think having support from, from your, your personal network, from your professional network, uh, just being incredibly transparent about what it, what it takes to be successful in this program, um, is, is super important uh, because you're going to have to ebb and flow and, and, and try different things before you figure out what works best for you.
0: We always stress that learning curve with yes. in, incoming students, uh, the first couple quarters, you can see when you when you're around uh, students during the the residencies, you can tell the, the sort of work rate and all of that. They're still processing a lot of it and still trying to figure out. To your earlier point about class, am I really doing this the right way? Am I ready for the questions that are coming? And obviously, that's a that's a conversation, right? You you read a case, you go to class, you get that feedback. Maybe you think about how you read the next case or the case after that. Um, so. Talked a little bit about how Darden has, has helped you in your your current work. Um, What have been, you know, you talked about also about your favorite things about Gimba. You know, when you think about the value of the program to you, um, what's been the most valuable thing or what, what are, what have been the key takeaways thus far?
1: Yeah. For, for me, the most valuable thing by far is the people and the connections that I've made. Um, Not only with, Um, the faculty who are world-class, but with my cohort of of students in the class of 2020, um, you instantly have 120, 130 new close friends because this is an incredibly unique experience uh, that nobody else in your life is going through exactly what you are going through. So we really lean on each other uh, to support each other um, because it's such a, a, a unique experience and such an intense experience. Uh, everybody is going through a accelerated learning growth curve here. Um, and it's, um, it, it's really great to see just how much people who were strangers not too long ago are now, uh, becoming, you know, lifelong friends. Um, so while the friendship is, is there, these folks are also people that we are going to rely on each other professionally for the rest of our careers, um, because we now have future leaders um, who are great contacts in all corners of the world, no matter what industry you're in. Um, and if it's not somebody in your cohort, it's an alumni who is in the cohort above you or below you. Um, and, and Darden really makes it easy to, to find and, and make those connections.
0: So one of the things that is oftentimes a little bit less clear to prospective students is the case method. You know what it is. Uh, what does it does it mean for your class time? Uh, I've started asking podcast guests and put you on the spot a little sure. bit here. Um, how would you explain the case method to someone who is you know less familiar with this learning learning style, this teaching approach? Right. Um,
1: so the case method, I think it is a next level way of, of teaching a curriculum. So if there is a, um, a base concept, um, they're not going to lecture that to you. The expectation is that you understand these fundamentals and this concept on your own before you come into the class. And they, there may be materials that are provided by Darden to understand those concepts. You may want to supplement those with things that you find online. Um, but then, Going into a, a classroom, we will have a, a real-life case study that is applying those concepts. Um, and the expectation is that you come into the classroom with a an informed opinion and an approach on what you would do if you were in this situation. And it's really about putting you into uh, the protagonist's shoes. On the flip side, they also want you to have an open mindset about what are other approaches that you could take here? Because I may have an approach that is very different than a colleague's. Um, and the professor is not going to tell us which one is right and which one is wrong. We're going to have a, uh, an in-depth discussion about the pros and cons of both um, and really um, learn from each other. Um, it's, it's, really, it's really something that takes a little while to get used to, um, when you ask a question to a professor, um, in most settings, you would expect an answer back, and you don't get an answer back. You get a, well, what do you think about that response? Um, and, it, and it really, um, I think it takes the level of learning to a whole new level uh, when the classroom is, is working together to solve a problem.
0: Has it been something you've enjoyed?
1: It is. Um, at this stage of my career, I don't think... Um, Going back to a lecture-style learning is really for me, um, and this is something that not only has it really helped me understand and learn all of the concepts that they teach at Darden, but it also applies in the office. So when I come back to work on Monday and we're having you know a strategy discussion and there are different opinions uh, being thrown out on the table – It's very much like the case method. There isn't one right answer. Um, and you are, you know, now in this mindset where you are primed to think on your feet, to build off of each other's ideas. Um, and it's something that even if the core topic at hand is totally different than what you were just learning that past weekend at residency, um, a lot of the the skills really translate.
0: So one of the things that we were talking about before we got started here uh, with the podcast, is that you are starting uh, to develop a a business idea. And uh, we've had an ongoing series of conversations here on the podcast about entrepreneurship. And uh, this is my working hypothesis. I want to share this with you. Uh, And I'm I'm curious your reactions to this. Because you spend so much time thinking like the person running the company in class, um, it makes it feel much more accessible to you to start your own company. You, you're very familiar with that perspective. Does that resonate with you?
1: It does. It, it, it does. Um, so in quarter seven right now, I'm taking an entrepreneurial thinking elective. Um, and just like we were talking about earlier, there's not a playbook for this. There, There isn't steps one through 10 to make this happen. Um, it's really about shifting your mindset um, on h- how are you going to approach a problem Um, and create a unique solution that adds value to people with limited resources. Um, And a lot of that is knowing what is the right problem to go after. Um, But a lot of it is perseverance and having the right mindset as you go through that process. Um, So while Darden certainly can't give you the playbook on here is how to create your own successful business, um, it helps put you in the right mindset of, how am I going to tackle this, and giving you the confidence that you can do it?
0: Let's talk a little bit more about that mindset because it's it's intriguing to me to think about. You know, it's an it's an outlook question, right? Or sort of this resiliency aspect where you know maybe you keep sort of asking questions. What to you do you think of when you think about having that sort of entre- entrepreneurial mindset? Yeah,
1: um, so I think it's about seeing where are there gaps in the world, um, where are there things that are difficult for people, um, where something isn't working the way it could be. Um, and, and that's your opportunity, right? It's first, it's finding the right problem and being curious and being open-minded and always questioning why do things work the way they do um, gives you a much broader perspective on what those uh, potential problems are. Those problems become the market that you want to go after. So, if it's in the early stages, it's less about having a solution that you're bringing to the world. It's more about finding the right problem that you want to go after. Um, and then, once you're there and once you find, like, this is really a problem that, um, if there was a better solution, could help a lot of people, that's where you start.
0: So I ask everybody basically the same last question on the podcast Um, and the audience for this podcast, a lot of different people listen to it, but our primary audience, prospective students. Okay. And uh, I'm curious, what would be a piece of advice you would share with them as they think about either pursuing an MBA or why Darden? Um, What's your best advice for our prospective students out there?
1: So if you're on the fence about whether you or not, you want to do it, just start asking questions um, and just, just start, getting closer to uh, the the program staff and the faculty to get a, a, a clearer picture of what it's actually like. I had an idea in my head of what being an MBA student uh, would be like, and I think I had a lot of things right, and I think I, there were some things that I wasn't uh, quite hitting the mark on. Um, coming to a class visit really helped um, uh, not only to just see the case method, which is different, but also to see the the level of energy, um, that is, that is in the classroom. Um, and once you do that, if, if you're, uh, if you're thinking about it, just go ahead and do it. Um, the, the more you wait, the longer you wait, life won't get simpler. Um, so if you, if you can fit it in and, and it feels like this is the right time, uh, just,
0: just go ahead and do it. Yeah, that's been a steady stream of advice from, from students. Take that step. At least, you know, fill out the application, you know, see what your options are. Uh, we are also big fans of the class visit, think that it's a great way uh, to get a sense of what your learning experience would be like, uh, to meet some current students, hear their stories, um, as you might uh, as you might find. Uh, your story is a lot like other people's stories, you know, right? On the fence, not sure, is this the right time? If you're thinking that, if you're wondering if, if this is the right step or whatever, there are people in this program that had that exact same question. So I think it can be really affirming in that way. Um, and it's also just a you know, in a couple hours, you can come see a class, have lunch, meet a bunch of interesting people, and uh, it answers a ton of questions. I think. Was that your experience?
1: I completely agree. the The case method is a very unique thing, and you can read about it. And you can read a case, and you can talk to other students about it. Uh, but it's something I think you really do need to see firsthand to, for it to truly sink in on, on what this is like.
0: Yeah, we tell people all the time that like you don't have to do it as the first thing, uh, but it does give you a really helpful baseline as you compare programs. Right? You've seen class at each of each of these places if you're looking at more than one school, and you know your experience it's largely going to play out in a classroom or with a group of people in a learning experience. So that's probably of all the things that you may be on your mind. That's a, that's a good barometer. Yeah. So Rob, well, thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your day uh, to come here. And I'd be remiss if I didn't note for uh, our podcast listeners, you are wearing a men's basketball national championship shirt.
1: Yes. uh, I attended the final four. Uh I was there when it happened. Um it was uh an experience I'll never ever forget.
0: Uh question, going to put you on the spot here. UVA football has opened the season 4 and 0. Uh the Coastal Division seems wide open for anybody's taking. Are you going to go to Charlotte if they uh, play in the championship?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Expecting 5 and 0 after this weekend at Notre Dame.
0: Wow, bold prediction. Yep. So um well, thank you again and uh you know, obviously exciting times for the who's and exciting times for you. Uh, we're, th- we're thrilled your classes. Uh, the, the end is near, the finish line is in sight it is. and good luck with these last few quarters. Thanks, Brett. And that was my conversation with Rob. We a again, format student in our class of 2020, as always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at exec That's e x e c m b a at Darden. Virginia.